HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by greatbrewers.com, a social media marketing platform dedicated to promoting the world's great brewers and the beers they create. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. Broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to heritageradionetwork.org. Some of my songs I have casually mentioned The fact that I like to drink beer This little song is more to the point Roll out the barrel and lend me your ears I like beer It makes me a jolly good fellow I like beer It helps me unwind and sometimes it makes me feel mellow. Welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. It's Tuesday, July 24th, 2012. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43. We have a great uh, list of guests in the house tonight. Jen Schwartman from Blind Tiger. Hi, Jimmy. Mike Kinslick from Copperseed Distilling. And Matt and Justin from uh, Sycamore Bar in Brooklyn. And we're sponsored by GreatBrewers.com. Thanks to them. Check out the Beer Cloud, a mobile app to help you locate your favorite beers. GreatBrewers.com. We're supported by the people at the Good Beer Seal, over 40 New York City good beer bars that serve and promote good beer. GoodBrewSeal.com. All right. The reason we have Mike Kinslick in the studio tonight is uh, we're talking about uh, breweries that also uh, distill and also the growing uh, small distillery movement in America. Um, on our end, uh, our sponsor, GreatBrewers.com, here in New York, known as Union Beer, uh, is now selling uh, limited uh, small spirits. And uh, we've been hosting some events uh, w- with Small Spirits, uh, with uh, Modern Distillery Age. Greg Glazer, who is uh, wearing both ha- both hats, he'll be with us later. He's an editor of Yankee Brew News, and he is also the editor-publisher of uh, Modern Distillery Age. So there's a, there's a growing connection between craft beer and craft spirits. And Justin and Matt at Sycamore, uh, they're one of the great bars that has really good beers and really good spirits. So we're kind of setting the framework for tonight. So Mike... Tell us about you. You did a, a, a white paper. You did some research uh, as you were opening your, your distillery, which you just got licensed today. Congratulations. Congratulations. Which is going to be a New Paltz area of New York. So tell us how you got started and your interest in uh, opening a small distillery. Thanks, Jimmy. Uh, thanks for having me here. Um, so I actually had worked for a professor when I was uh, in graduate school who had done research on the craft brewing market. So I had seen how that market had developed from 
one initial firm, Anchor Steam uh, Brewing out in California, to today uh, over 2,000 craft brewers in the United States with about 9% of the U.S. beer market by dollar sales over the last 45 years. Incredible trend. And I started to see in the mid-2000s, early 2000s, similar things developing on the craft spirits side. I also happen to have a friend who was uh, knowledgeable about distilling, and he had been talking about starting a craft distillery for quite some time. I put the two together, and um, in the process of, of doing the research for our own distillery, Copper Sea, uh, just started to look at the development of the craft spirits market, and it is following the craft brewing market almost leg for leg. So currently about 240 uh, craft distillers in the United States, um, some of whom are, as, we, as we're talking about, uh, also craft brewers, uh, Anchor Steam first and foremost among them. Um, and uh, I'm hopeful that, that in the next 5, 10, 15 years, we'll start to see um, a plethora of, of new craft distillers just like on the craft So there's some places we know, like Ballast Point, Dogfish Head, even in Japan, Hitachino. There's a lot of breweries that are also distilling. What's the connection between beer and distilling? Well, sure. So if you're going to make any kind of uh, grain-based distillation, distillate product, vodka, gin, uh, whiskeys, you have to make a beer first. Uh, so you make a, a, a grain alcohol, fermented grain at about 5% alcohol, and then that gets put into your stills and comes out the other end as uh, something you either barrel or water down for uh, a vodka-type type product. All right. Jen, do you, know, don't, do you know a lot about small distilleries or spirits? Um, Mike was saying he knows 20 different breweries who are, who are also micro-distilling, and I certainly am not familiar with that many. I'd love to see that list. But I've been a, um, a fan of this movement for a long time. And when I was in Colorado years ago, mid-'90s, friends in the industry, in the beer industry, and I were kind of sitting back and we'd speculate about what the next trend was going to be. And we all named micro-distillation going hand-in-hand, hand, and yet I'm, I'm not exactly sure why it took so long for that to finally take hold, but I'm so glad it has. So, Mike, you're at, um, so we have, you know, in the beer industry, we have the Craft Brewers Conference. What, what's the similar conference uh, for distillers that you went to? So the lead uh, trade and, and um, gathering organization in the craft distilling movement right now is the American Distilling Institute, headed up by Bill Owens. And um, he's been, he was actually also involved in the craft beer market. Uh, he started the first uh, brew pub in California and was later um, an organizer of a craft beer um, trade group as well in the late 80s. So he's seen both trends as well. Very uh, interesting fellow. Um, what, what people don't quite maybe think about is that craft beer took 20 or 15, 25, 30 years to really take a deep hold in the landscape. Fritz started Anchor Steam. He took over at Anchor Steam in 1965, uh, and it wasn't until probably 1990 that there were more than a few hundred craft brewers in the United States, and now, again, you have 2,000. So think about it this way. Last year, there were more new craft breweries opening in the United States than there are currently craft distilleries in total. So even with that many craft breweries open already, people are still seeing opportunities to get into that market. So Justin and Matt, you at, at, at Sycamore, you guys are in Brooklyn. Right. You're an awesome uh, beer and, and spirits bar. Um, what, what are some of the, the breweries that you see are also making dis distilled products? 
Um, well, some, I mean, Matt, Matt knows actually more than I do on this, but some that we see are, I mean, there's also Rogue, which is a very large brewery, which they started their distillery actually fairly recently, like maybe a few years ago. Yeah, a few years ago. Um, Stockfish Head, um, which, I mean, they've been distilling for quite some time, but they don't, you can really only get it at um, at the, the brew pub and distillery, I guess, they're in the same location. I, and it, I, I, they were actually um, really pushing their rum, of all things. Yeah. Like, the others were numbered bottles. I, have, I had a bottle of gin. I heard a, a tell, tale of a tequila batch they did one time. So they've been really small, but then they were really, like, they were distributing, I think, some of the rums. Right. I definitely saw a few, like uh, there's a couple of events they've done in the city where they brought bottles out along with the beer, and you can kind of like uh, they were doing. I remember Barcade once they're doing uh, martinis with the gin, which is awesome, really, really great stuff. Um, I mean, even when it comes to like uh, Anchor, uh, their distilling company is also probably like only like five, ten years old, and their their two biggest products, which people don't like aren't familiar with, is the Juniper and the Genevieve. Which you see that like at almost every bar restaurant in the city, but you don't realize that's an anchor product. Believe it or not, twenty years they've been distilling. Twenty years. Old, old Potrero is their whiskey too, oh, and it's really Potrero, nice. So right. that's another label that you wouldn't necessarily associate. You'd see it, and you might respect it and love it, but not necessarily make the connection. Yeah, right. What I love about this this like craft beer and spirits thing is, I have a different vision for a really cool bar. I, I and one day I may have spirits at, at my place, Jimmy's number forty three. I may not, but if I did, I, I would I would almost want to say you you can only buy the spirits if you buy a beer first. So it's like you have to have a beer, then you have to have like a, a either neat or on the rocks one of these fine spirits. They always say you got to work your way up. Yeah, you got to work your way up. But it's also <laughs> I, this is how I see the connection. I'm you know there's a lot of cocktails out there, and it's a different thing. I think. With cocktails, you can cheat a lot. I think that with cocktails, there's a lot of sweeteners. You know, there's a way to to, to put your booze. Uh, in a, it's it's easy to drink a cocktail, and I, I feel like um, what am I trying to say is that I really respect the the, the specialty spirits that, that we're tasting. Um, there's a lot of good ones. We, we do some events with Greg Glazer. He'll be on soon uh, from Modern Distillery Age, and it's just amazing to have you know certain spirits just neat or on the rocks. And I know that's not popular. But I feel like that's the way to drink them. I have some friends from the Blind Tigers, some regulars, Michael and John, who have decided, taken up gin as their passion. And they've been traveling and collecting micro-distilled gins from around the country. And they went out to Portland, Oregon. And they came back with like eight or nine different gins only from that region. And then they throw a tasting where all they do is like lightly chill it. And we all try them like in sequence, not side by side. But you really do get to zero in. And when you're talking about gin, the botanicals... So like far well, reaching. It's one reason I, uh, we wanted Mike on the show tonight with Coppercy. I feel like you're coming from a, a, a very craft, you know, orientation. Like, what do you want to do with your product? You're not just talking about making whiskey. You're doing something very special. So, so we think it's important to um, be really heritage methods distilling from the from the farm to the bottle. So we're going to use only wood fermentation tanks, no steel let alone plastics. We're going to use local water on site from a well right on our right in front of our distillery. We are going to use hand-fired uh, uh, small pot stills, so no columns. Uh, and we think that that will enable us to really capture uh, some of the deeper flavor tones in the grains that we're putting into the stills, as well as eau de vies and other um, more uh, uh, craft 
driven products. And are you going to do uh, like specific batches of specific grains? So what we're intending to do is single farm source batches. So we want to do um, longitudinal and latitudinal sets. So latitudinal set of different uh, corn spirits from different farms in the region to capture the different flavors in the in the bottle. And then we want to age those and do longitudinal sets so you capture the flavor in the barrel as, as the spirit changes over time. So you're, you're really talking about doing a serious project. And for background, your partner, who's the, the distiller, uh, where has he worked before? So he uh, you know, comes from a, a tradition of folk distilling. Uh, his name is Angus McDonald, and uh, he has a lot of uh, tales to tell about how he acquired the knowledge of distillation, but I, I, won't, I won't share but those. did he now. work at Tuttletown <laughs> at any point? No. He no. never did? No. We know those guys well, of course. And, and so he knows done. the Tuttletown guys? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So you're talking about a, a spirit of the quality of Tuttletown, a.k.a. Hudson Whiskey, or even better than that? Well, uh, you know, I hate to compare. I mean, they're doing what they're doing, and we're doing what we're doing, and, and I hope we'll have... Uh, but you uh, have to. You know, we'll leave that, we'll leave that to others. Um, you know, I think they're... They, you know, um, uh, I, have, I have mad respect for Ralph and, and what, what they've been able to do, and uh, I think they're... Um, Obviously, they've achieved a tr- extraordinary success it, it, doing what they're doing, and, and we'll see what we can do. So, Copper Seed Distilling, you guys are going to be based in New Paltz? Uh, West New Park. York. West Park, New York. And you guys will be making products soon, in the fall? Very soon. Very soon. Next, uh, so couple keep, months. keep your eyes peeled. We have to take a short break. We'll be back with Greg Glazer. We'll talk more about uh, brewing and distilling on Beer Sessions Radio. So I could love you twice as much as I do. I'd have four loving arms to embrace you. Four eyes to idolize you each time I face you. With two hearts twice as twins. What could four lips do? When four ears hear you say that I'm yours. Da da da. I wish that I were twins, you great big babykins, so I could love you twice as much as I do. To Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Did you know that Heritage Radio Network is now a 501c3 nonprofit? Hey, it's just like public radio. HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can donate, you can become a member, and go check it out. Well, here we are in the studio at uh, Roberta's in Bushwick. And uh, Jen Twortman and uh, Mike Kinslick, we were just talking about uh, some small spirits, but right now we're drinking uh, the, the one of my bottle. favorites. What is it? Cantillon, uh, the Iris 19, uh, was it 2007? 07, yes. 07. When I hear 7, it's either 87, 97, 2007. It's all a blur at this point. So, Jen, you were at Canyon not too long ago. Yeah. I was there, and uh, I brewed with Jean one one day in February this year. So I had the pleasure of drinking, drinking this beer and seeing how it's made. And uh, Mike talking about his, you know, artisanal liquor and how he's going to be doing it in wood barrels and things reminds me of all the old equipment and the tradition of Cantillon. So I, that's what's really exciting about what he's doing, I think, over some of the other micro distillers is meticulously artisanal. You're know, like trying to make it, to, like use some of these traditional 
uh, approaches to distillation. That's brilliant. And, and we have Greg Glazer. Greg, how are you? Hey, Johnny, I haven't seen you in what years? Greg's the editor. Not, you're the editor of Yankee Brew News, but also the publisher editor of Modern Distillery Age. So you're one of the few guys who's who's a you're, you have one foot in craft beer and one foot in craft distilling. I do. They're both very wet. Yeah, you're coming off a little funny, but we're, we're still going to talk a little bit. We're talking about craft beer and distilling. Uh, what are some of the the breweries that you know that are also making uh, fine distilled spirits? Well, the first two that jump into my mind are uh, on two opposite sides of the country. We've got Rogue, uh, and they've been distilling for quite a while out in Oregon. And then on uh, the other side of the country here in New England, we've got uh, the folks in, in Rhode Island, uh, in Providence. Newport Storm uh, is, is the brewery side, and they've uh, got Thomas Two Rum as their, their first distilled brand. So when did you first uh, get involved with, with distilled spirits? Because you've been the editor for Yankee Brew News for a while. Uh, when did Modern Distillery Age start? Well, I, I had been, as you said correctly, with Yankee Brew for a long time, since about 1994. And then with All About Beer magazine, where I still write a couple of columns since 99. And because of that, some folks I met in the trade publication business in New York City asked me to write some spirit stories uh, around... Oh, 2001, and I became more and more conversant with distilled spirits. And it was in 2009 that I formed uh, and, and started publishing Modern Distillery Age as a weekly trade magazine newsletter for the spirits business. All right. So go for it. We got Mike. Mike has, got, has just got licensed for Carpacy Distilling in uh, New Paltz. I, I was just going to mention a couple of other um, brewers who also distill. One is McMenamin's out in Oregon. And uh, they, I think, don't actually distribute their product at all. I think they um, sell it all at their own um, so pubs, pubs and that, uh, yeah. hotel properties in, in the area. And the other, going doing your bi-coastal thing, Greg, is Triple um, Eight uh, in Massachusetts. They have uh, a wide range of distilled spirits products. Uh, I think vodka, rum, gin, whiskey. Oh yeah, their uh, Cisco is the brewery, right? Yeah. Is right, that Cisco. Okay, I think yeah. that's right. Yeah. <clears throat> Wow. Well, we lost Greg because his connection was really bad. But Hopefully Matt, we'll get him back. What, you talk. You talk you're, you're a genius, the, the young genius here. He, he works for, at Beercraft, and he's also working at Sycamore now in Brooklyn. Tell us what you know about all this stuff. Um, I mean, there's a lot. I, I've been working now with just beer um, for a long time, so I, I haven't had a chance to have a lot of these spirits. And a lot of the just, uh, distilleries we're talking about in breweries, they're on the West Coast, and it's hard enough getting like McMinnons. You can't get their beer out here, and it's, it's really tough. But there's... um. Like uh, we were talking a little bit earlier about uh, Aventinus and the Schneider Brewery in Germany, they don't actually distill their uh, their beer, but they make um, a a Weissbach called Aventinus, which is this really very strong, rich uh, wheat beer, and they send it to a distillery um, near them in Bavaria, and then uh, they distill that spirit and age it in barrels and. Um, I believe the head brewer, someone from the brewery, actually is the one taking care of the the spirit once it's in the wood. And um, they they now sell it unaged, and they also sell one. I think it's aged in an old whiskey barrel. Um, and I've had a taste of one that was aged in a wine barrel. And it's crazy because I, my, when I think about spirits, it's kind of you know you're taking alcohol and you're heating it up and the spirit leaves the liquid and it turns into alcohol. Um, you know, like a more pure refined alcohol. And so you wouldn't expect to kind of see. The, the real roots of the the base um, fermented beverage behind there, but you really can taste a little bit of the the phenolic uh, 
clove and uh, banana flavor from the base wheat beer, <laughs> even if after it's been aged, it's like a really it's it's really crazy. It's not something you'd expect, and maybe it's because it's such an assertive beer to begin what you, with. What do you call that? What do you call the what what? How do you categorize something like that? Since it's it sounds so different from Tr- anything trace else. elements. <laughs> yeah, I mean I noticed this too. Where where when you have like uh, Dutch's on another level, Dutch's is upstate and they're making distilled products. They have a peach brandy, so it's the 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 alcohol is totally dry, it's totally clean, but the nose mm-hmm. has the hint of peach. Well, well, this is really the difference between using uh, traditional pot stills and column stills, which will really strip out a lot of the both bass notes and treble notes, as I think of them, from the spirit and what's going into the pot. I mean, this is another thing like Doc's Apple Cider. Like they, I mean, they're somewhat. They should be considered a brewery as well as a distillery as well. I mean, and Warwick? Yeah, Warwick. Yeah, Docks and Warwick, yeah. I, I, they're Warwick Valley Distilling. You yeah. know, they, they make spirits as well as Insider. ciders. right. Yeah, they're, they're really interesting. I, I mean, know. what do you guys have to go through? I mean, what I always thought about distilling, I thought they just somehow pushed a button and you got <laughs> vodka. I mean, like magic. Yeah. I mean, that's how it's always been. It's always been, you know, proposed to us. It's kind of like with beer too. It's like the the mainstream beers. It's like it comes out super clean and dry, and it's like you push this button, and and there's like you know triple distilled vodka, but never really talks about what what makes it. And and uh, this is the first time I've ever heard anyone talk about wow, it actually can come from beer. So what does that mean? It comes from like a fermented product. So I could have hard cider. And, and make a spirit with that. I mean, are they Calvados. really making beer? That, that would be Calvados or Applejack. But are they the really States, making so. beer, or they're just making like a, like some kind of wort that's slightly fermented? Well, you cider know? is not going to be beer, right? But I mean, cider. either way, cider or beer, the base for the distilled product. So for whiskey making, what we're going to use... Yeah, how far do they go with, with the beer? The, how close is it to beer? Yeah. Well, that, that we know of as yeah. beer, because I know that that base product is also called beer, right? Which it can is be also, confusing, yeah. because you think they're just taking... A beer, and then, but it's a different recipe, I'm sure. It is, but it's about five percent alcohol, so it is in that you know five to eight percent beer alcohol range. It's grain, fermented grain, not necessarily that you'd want to drink in that format. But then that goes through what we'll do two distillations on that. The first distillation run will take that five to eight percent alcohol product and take it up to about twenty five percent alcohol. So you lose about it's about five to one. The next run will take that low wine, as it's called, 25%, up to about 50%, 60%. And that's what we'll put into the barrels for aging. So you'll never go to like the 100 You won't be like making 100% alcohol and then adding you water. You can never. Actually, 90%, the reason Everclear is 190 proof or whatever it is, is because that, that's the point where you can't distill it anymore. The, the, the water evaporation and alcohol evaporation are basically simultaneous at that temperature. So... Um, that's a, a when you when you're making your uh, I don't know what you call the base that you're going to still I mean a, a wart I guess um, you don't hop it usually right I mean it's just basically yeah um, a couple of years ago um, actually it's like four or five years ago now um, Jerome Ribetes, um if I sorry if I butchered your name uh, from uh, BFM was in town um, and uh, actually conveniently on my birthday and we were hanging out at beer table and. Uh, he shouts across the bar, Matthew, Matthew, I think I have something you want to taste, but it's not on the menu. And I said, mm-hmm. yes, Jerome, I would like to taste this thing that's not on the menu. Whatever it is. Yeah, whatever you got. <laughs> Knowing <I'll-> Jerome. <laughs> yeah. So he goes to the back, and he comes out with a, well, like a little, he does the, those bottles are very cute. They like, look like the uh, short, fat Belgian bottles, but it's got a swing top. He comes out with one of those, and it's this thing called Lagnol, which is uh, a whiskey he makes, but he hops the, uh, the base, uh, you know, 
hooch. And then he, I think he hops it again before he adds it in the barrel. So it's just like kind of like hoppy whiskey that he does. And then he, you know, tells me this is, you know, what it is. And the only reason I make it is to uh, age it in a barrel so they can use the barrel to make his beer, uh, the Abbey Saint Bonchien, which is like a, a Belgian mm-hmm. quad that he gets aged in a bunch of so barrels. He makes his own barrels. He makes his own barrels. Beer, yeah. So there is a yeah well, a multitasking actually, in there. That's actually like the greatest thing of being like. Uh, being a brewery and a distillery, once you start making all these products, you get to age your beers in these casts. So there's a lot more you can play around with and be creative with. Sure. Wow. Mike, um, we know that for homebrewing, you know, Jimmy Carter in 1979 made homebrewing legal. And then from that, we have a whole generation of people who are comfortable making beer and a great craft beer scene. I think there's a connection between it. But can you uh, distill at home? Um Legally, you are not allowed to make any distilled products at home, which is not to say that there aren't probably several thousands of hobbyists out there doing that, and it's pretty unlikely that the ATF is going to come after you. There are still some larger-scale moonshiners, illegal alcohol makers, whatever you want to call them, uh, who are, are, you know, get prosecuted, but it's pretty rare these days. What, what I suspect will happen is that given all the favorable changes in legislation we've seen to date, at some point, 5, 10, 15 years down the line, it will become legal to make up to a certain amount uh, of distilled spirits at home. It's, it's a little more dangerous than brewing, though, isn't it? I mean, I'm just, I'm asking. That's kind of a myth. I think if you've got a reasonably well-constructed commercial still, and they come down in sizes all the way down to 5, 10 gallons, it's it's pretty safe to put that on a stovetop and make stuff out of. But what what we've seen, what I've seen developing so far in the market is we've had the first wave of uh, people getting in, many of whom have no real distilling experience. They go take a course, they bootstrap, they get up and running, they get in the market, and they learn by doing. What I think we're going to see next is the second wave. So the people who have worked at these first distilleries who are then going to go out and, and do something on their own, who have the knowledge, and that's how the market is going to uh, develop Become its Become more legs. refined, yeah. probably. Yeah. You see that in beer. Um, you know, all of the, the states here in, in the United States where there's actually like a lot of, a lot of beer breweries now, they, they, they're clustered around breweries that have been around for about 20, 30 years. And Michigan's got a really big scene, but, you know, Bell's has been around for about 25 years, and they're all, by and large, people who work there at some point, and sort of, you see that in Italy. You it's know, a now, big family. Yeah. It becomes a big incestuous family. Which sorts. is one of the best things about, I think, the beer scene and in, in, in going on today, and mm-hmm. hopefully with spirits, too. It'd be yeah. nice to see, you know, people working together and, you know, moving on and doing things. It's a, well, that's why you have these nexuses, like in, in Oregon and uh, north, northern uh, Washington, and uh, Northern California, and now New York, and uh, once once the knowledge sort of you know centers in a certain industry it in a certain flourishes. area, it, it flourishes. Yeah, exactly. So, Justin, I'm glad you mentioned Warwick, Warwick Valley, and we know them as Doc Cider. Right. And I always forget. I was at a spirits event recently, and they were there with their Warwick Valley spirits, as well as their Doc's Doc's draft. They're, and they actually didn't say um, that is where uh, New York Distilling Company started working on their products up in Warwick Valley. They were able to go up there and test spirits out for a while until they finally opened up their um, location off of Richardson, which is like that attached to the shanty, which they do an incredible job with their uh, with their gins. It's a fun place to go to because they make cocktails with the um, it's like a brew pub, but it's the liquor equivalent. 
And um, at this point, I don't think they've released any whiskey, but they're working on it. They're aging it. And they have been able to release some gin. So there's a very gin-centric type of cocktail menu that's being made. And you can look over from the bar through the windows and see the distillery. I haven't been there when it's actually running, you know, but to yeah. see it there, you know, it's I the actually, same sort of effect as tanks of a brew pub. Yeah. And I also really appreciate, like uh, you just mentioned, like they're aging their whiskey and they're like, they're making, I guess, I think they're doing this like the old school Northeast rye recipe or something like that. Oh, okay. Yeah, I and don't know actually, any specifics. I just know that they were the, waiting. They're yeah. waiting, but they're aging it like a lot of people will try to cut their budget and they'll just like, you know, age it for three or six months, which is, that's what they want to do. That's fine. But doing it like a certain way, like you actually do get more character, especially when it comes to whiskey. One of my one of my favorite. Um, well, I have a couple Colorado um, small distillers that I know of. One is Ska Brewing Company out of Durango has Peach Street, and they've been doing uh, goat vodka and jackalope gin for a long time. But they actually started with eau de vies because there were a lot of peach orchards and things in that part of Colorado. So they were taking all the excess fruit and making eau de vie first. So they, they've they've got quite an operation. And they were the first uh, craft distillery in Colorado. Oh, were they? Okay. And now we've got Stranahan's Colorado Whiskey, which is winning awards. And those guys are really interesting. I took a tour a couple years ago. A couple home distillers who had been at it for a while, and, and they just decided, we're Colorado. We don't have a tradition we need to uphold, kind of like American craft brewers didn't have a specific heritage they needed to uphold. So they picked apart the process, and they had this custom still made, and they just like have decided they've got this sort of cross. There's no corn in the mash, and they had this hybrid still made that's like, um, I think they called it either the most um, efficient bourbon still or the least efficient uh, scotch still around, like crazy <laughs> stuff. So, you know. Since you're talking eau de vie, I'm going to throw an international reference in. In 2009, I spent some time in Amsterdam at the Café Velling. It's, it's a great little old old bar uh, in the shadow of the Kunst, the Art Museum Hall, or whatever it's called. But the owner, Boss, B-A-S, Boss, he, he has his own eau de vie products that he makes outside of the city. So if, you're, if you ever go to Amsterdam, check out Café Velling, ask for Boss, this is a uh, Udivis, including a traditional Geneva. And, and so there's a great tradition, you know, between. Yeah. And this is happening in Europe too, because um, I, when I was in Bamberg, I went to Mars Brewery, and you know Stefan from Mars. He's got a still. He's making his own um, schnapps, which is you know the most common. But then he's also doing a whiskey, very pale in color. But he's playing around. He's got a beautiful little still. And is that's he distilling from his beer? Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. he's brewing whatever it takes. I mean, he is. It's not. Like he's. I. I don't think he's taking his actual recipes that that we drink. He's using that equipment though to brew his base. So, what do you call that? It's like this base beer. Is it beer? Beer is what we. It's beer, it's but it's not confusing because it's not. It's not sellable beer. It's, <laughs> not sellable beer. Yeah, probably not. All right, this is a good group. We have a lot more to talk about. We'll be back in a few minutes here on Beer Sessions Radio. Every night you'll hear croon of a Russian lullaby. Just a plain You're listening to Russian Lullaby by Plexophonic. Starts to cry. Rockabye, my baby. Somewhere there may be a land that's free for you and me and a Russian lullaby. I'm Nicole Taylor, host of Hot Grease. Food is about community, gathering together, 
enjoying great food and great conversation. That's how I grew up, and that's what I do on my show, Hot Grease. I bring in the community and we talk food, people, gardening, kids, the South, and more. Join our community by going to the donate button on our website and become a member of the Heritage Radio Network. All right, here we are back on Beer Sessions Radio. Awesome. Sorry. Here we got Jen Schwartman, Blind Tiger. Mike Kins at Copper Sea Distillery. They were licensed today by the feds. And Yay. Matt and Justin from Sycamore. Let's talk about Sycamore. Sycamore is a cool bar in Brooklyn. It's been awarded the Good Beer Seal, goodbeerseal.com. You guys have always had good beers. What are some of the beers on draft at Where at are Sycamore? you in Brooklyn, by yeah, the way? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, we're, we're in Dittmas Park. A lot of people don't really know Dittmas Park that well, but it's the south side of Prospect Park. Okay. Uh, we've been there for about four years. I think that's a Jim Croce song, right? Yeah. <laughs> the south side of Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> Close. But yeah, we uh, we opened up four years ago, and during that time, we didn't notice a lot of American whiskeys uh, available at bars, so we decided to open up just American whiskey bar with craft beers, because we're also beer lovers, and that's turned into just like a full whiskey bar that we primarily have. We typically have like 70 to 90 American whiskeys, and then probably about another like 15 to 20 wow. other whiskeys. That's a lot. Um, it's a lot. Yeah. I've gone through them all multiple times. They're all fantastic. <laughs> so, like, what's my whiskey? And, like, I like to have a beer, and I want to have, have quality spirit with it. So, what if I'm going to Sycamore tonight, you can, you can guesstimate, what's my beer and whiskey flight? I want five beers and five whiskeys. Five With beers. my friend, Mike. <laughs> That's a lot of liquor. That's yeah, a lot yeah. of That's a, And order a cab. So you're taking a cab. Hey, we're celebrating. <laughs> you just got licensed as a distiller. You know? Come on. Um, our, so... What I'll say for, like, as far as, like, whiskey goes, guys that I really like right now are Kentucky bourbon distillers. I always think that they do a fantastic job. Uh, they've got a, I mean, typically in Kentucky, there's only eight distilleries that make, you know, 50, 70, 80, 90 products. Huh. Um, and uh, the Kentucky bourbon distillers, my favorite are, like, the Black Maple Hill. Hmm. Um, they do the Johnny Drums, which are great, especially the 101. They do... Um, the Pure Kentucky, which is fantastic. The Rowan's Creek, the Noah's Mill. So those would definitely be like my whiskeys that I'd be offering to you guys. And then as far as beers go, I mean, right now on draft, we have some founders. We have Barrier, Barrier's Back, which is great. Great news. Mm-hmm. Um, we have um, some Bear Republic. We have some... Some Green Flash. Some Green Flash. Um, we, we change our list of yeah. so Have you guys, days. anyone had the new uh, Green Flash Pale Ale? It's called like the Green Flash 30th Street. Oh, Thursday. yeah, they've been it. doing that for a Isn't while. It, what, what is that beer? Because you're really tight with them. What, yeah. That's um, a great pillow. I, I guess it's new to us, probably. Um, we've had it at a couple Blind Tiger events just because we had crazy stuff that we weren't normally getting. But um, they've been making that for a number of years. And they named it after the 30th Street Corridor in San Diego, which is where the most of the beer bars of note run north and south along that, that avenue. And so... Um, or that street. So they um, made this beer, and it's an American pale. So if you know their product, you know that the West Coast IPA, really, really hoppy, you know, and not for every IPA palate, too. I mean, it's it goes it's pretty far. It's dry so also. The, yeah, I mean, really dry. Really, I mean, gorgeous I like, beer. I like that one a lot. I like but that the pale, But the pale is like that step back that pale ale is compared to IPA a lot of times. But still nice hop character. Really great beer. Yeah, I, I like it too. I had it at Mugs last week. Mugs on uh, Bedford in Brooklyn. 
I mean, yeah, I brought a keg in too. I'm still we're transitioning from beer craft. We brought a keg in, and uh, sure enough, it got tapped on the weekend. It was well gone by the time I got back on Monday, and it was nobody nobody saved any for me. So let's take more. How many how many uh, draft lines do you guys have? Got uh, eight. We have eight. Yeah, you have eight and, and four then, outside as well. You have, do you have a lot of uh, bottles? We have about thirty. Push about thirty bottles right so now. You have a good, well curated list. Yeah, we we tend to. Especially when Matt's stepping in, um, the goal is to be switching. Like we'll be changing the lines. Like every line will there will never be the same beer on the same line once, and the bottles will also be consistently changing. Question: so. um, What like roughly what percentage do you think you do people focus more on the beer there or more on the spirits or is it fifty fifty? It's like fifty fifty. I feel like it's like um, I mean people definitely come in for their beers, but it's also we have a big backyard, so I think it's also a summer winter thing. In the summer, the beer definitely moves really fast. Yeah, and in yeah. the winter, the whiskey definitely moves. Sure. So, any particular craft distillers that you're uh, featuring or that you see uh, people enjoying? Um, well, Anchor, we have uh, some of those, um, but not not right now. No, but there's some that we're actually like talking to that we're possibly going to carry yeah. soon, especially on the whiskey side. So, like, some of the newer, like, New York area distillers, like New York Distilling, I mean, do they sell wholesale? Would you carry their product? I, I, I carry their product you as do. well. Yeah, I love their product. And then how do you sell it? Do you sell it mostly just neat or on the rocks, or do you make a cocktail with it? Usually, um, typically what the customer wants, but, I mean, I, I love it neat on the rocks with, like, a lemon or lime. Especially well, going back to beer, because you guys are a great beer bar, too, and Matt worked at Beercraft. Um, what did you just let me taste? Because uh, this is it's awesome. Good. It's like a black IPA, right? Yeah, this is uh, the Firestone Walker uh, Wookie Jack. I think it's relatively new. Yeah, 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 yeah. I haven't yeah. had it yet. Yeah, yeah it's a brand new. I had new. it on draft. It's delicious in a bottle, too. So this is the kind of beer that you'll be carrying Absolutely, over yeah. at Sycamore. Yeah. Um, I mean, you guys are just what everybody needed, because in Brooklyn, there's so many great neighborhoods, and I know the Windsor, Windsor Terrace, uh, there's Double Windsor. That's a good beer bar. Great beer bar. Good beer seal bar. And you guys are in Ditmas Park. Um it's just great to see you guys, and I'm glad you're a part of the Good Reseal. Thank you. Appreciate so, it. Let's Thanks have more of this. Fire, and what's the other one? The Pretty Things. Uh, this is the Pretty Things. It, Magnificent there's one. a new Captain Lawrence I haven't seen uh, before, yeah, too. Tell a, us about that's, that one. That's, that's a, a real treat, that one. That's the, uh, the Hops it's and Roses. It's a great label. Yeah. I wish you could see it. Yeah. It, it looks like you're on drugs. Um, <laughs> it's a, an IPA that was uh, a, aged in a barrels. It's a sour ale, and it's uh, got uh, rose hips, hibiscus, and rose petals in it. So it's a really nice pink color. Um, and I mean, Scotty is one of my favorite breweries, uh, brewers, you know, um, from, he's been brewing since he was in high school. Such a great guy. He's too. an awesome dude. And he really, a lot of people like, you know, want to open a brewery and they want to do sour rails and it's not, it's not an easy thing to do to let things go wrong, um, in a controlled way. And he's really nailed it. And, and you know, having, he takes it seriously. He does. And having watched like the bottle releases go, you know, in the past five years as he's been doing it, like he's really figured out exactly when the beer's ready to get out of the uh, barrel and get into the bottle and get into somebody's belly. I, I had the pleasure of blending a, a couple, three sour beers with Dave Broderick um, at the old brewery uh, for one of our events, and we were tasting all these samples of the raw material to know how to blend it. And he pulled samples off, and they were from um, a, there were several casts piled high and he hadn't quite refined his technique for tapping like the samples so it had sat it sat in the barrels a little too long and it had turned to acetone kind of like nail polish remover and he's like well there goes that like it was going down the drain which was a shame but he had to refine his, he wasn't going to let that become part of his blends by any means just because it would be he's a waste high, have you been to the new brewery he, not yet no, I can't have wait. you really Jen? no no I haven't made it up 
Wow. Yeah. We better go up. I know. I've got to see it because now he's up and running and he's got his pilot system and I'm so excited for him because he had taken over like another space in the old spot and had expanded slightly his barrel aging but he was just chomping at the bit to go bigger so now he got to I think it. it's exciting I mean we know that you know at peak skill Jeff O'Neill's he's making the cool he's, shit he's doing gonna, traditional we have sours. a bunch of peak skill beer coming to the tiger this Sunday too so if you want to try peak skill without having to get on a train come by so the tiger this Sunday, this 3pm June yeah, July he's, like 6 or 7 of his beers <laughs> we're so excited he'll be in the wow, house that's another yeah. great guy I mean yeah, that's another fantastic and so talented and but so, so, and so Scott Vaccaro Captain Lawrence is making some sour beers yes is he doing it does he have a cool ship or what is he doing he, he has a cool ship um, just he, he's he just doing it up. I, I, he, I think most of the base beer is um, his brown ale for as far he's I can got a couple that he plays probably, with I yeah. think yeah um, and then you know you just you put it in the wood I mean Cool ships are are cool, um, you know. And if you have a like, Jeff like is a building game, one, I guess. I, yeah, peak school, it, yeah. It, I you know I applaud that. It's really amazing. But one of the cool things about like American craft brewing and like you know what we did with the wine industry, where we figured out what was going on that the French were doing, and then you know they're like, oh man, yeah, we can do that without you know relying on voodoo. We've done that for the like the Belgian breweries. Like if you if you you're canty on. So you're saying got, a cool ship is voodoo. Yeah, more or less. I mean, yeah, you've got like... It's the, so environmental. Yeah. It's so reliant upon that environment. And you can actually, now with our technology, I guess, of sorts, you can inoculate so with it's wild a, It's, it's yeah. like, you're saying it's like farming. If you're near a road and there's cars with exhaust, that could really screw up your... Oh, absolutely, yeah. Your ecosystem for... Funny Natural enough, products. though, Cantillon is in Brussels proper. Right. I mean, it's not on some countryside. It's not some charming little farm. It just, the whole Brussels region was, um, you know, uh, traditionally fruit orchards. And so there just is a lot of, there are a lot of these yeast strains. But people, uh, for years I had heard about it before I saw it. They're like, yeah, you just, you picture this beer coming from some, you know, farmhouse on some hillside. And it's right in downtown Brussels. So... The exhaust is there, and somehow it works in their favor. It, it, it's about the well, attic where the cool ship about, is. Yeah. yeah. Well, they've got open windows to right. the outside, so True, yeah. something's getting in. Yeah. Mike, when, when you're doing distilling, do you have to worry about environmental issues, or is it just all in the? You do. The, the and still, it, you you raise an interesting point because we are also hoping to ferment with wild yeast. So to lay down some of our grains and just let whatever ambient yeast strains are floating around um, inoculated, and and we've. Um, We've done some tests on that, and you know we think we can actually we can actually achieve uh, uh, you know critical mass on the fermentation with that. That's great. Well, I mean, it's that sour mash whiskey is. Um, I mean, I don't know how that goes down normally, but I, when I first started homebrewing, I saw a recipe and it involved taking yogurt and just throwing it on the grain, much like a, like a almost like a Berliner Weiss, which is more it's like kind of ambient yeast hanging out. But yeah, they're you know goosing it a little bit with. Uh, well, external culture, and uh, that's you know that would be going to make bourbon. You wouldn't drink that on its own. You know, I just got some pig hindquarters from a. There's a great farm upstate, Raven and Boar. They're way up by Hudson, and I got some pig hind, like a bunch of pig legs, fresh. And uh, one of the cooks today, he, he had out some of the feet because he's going to cook the feet and the tail. And I thought, would you be able to put tail into a, a distillate? <laughs> you know, you've got pumpkin wow. beers. Would you ever make a beer with pig tail? <laughs> I don't I mean, know. They make oyster shell and lobster shell beers. It's I mean, for real. Than using meat. Would you throw in a pig <laughs> right. tail into beer? This is a good question. Anybody can bacon, answer who bacon wants Bacon bourbon, to. I think, would have a big yeah. market. I mean, come on. Matt, you got to know. I'm, I'm all for Protein it. and bone I and have, calcium. I have um, actually uh, 
soaked some uh, infused bacon into vodka for Bloody Marys before. I learned that at the Rogue um, Tap House in San Francisco. And but that's on the infusion side. That's the infusion. What about so on, that's going the, later. I'm just, I'm saying it, you know, there is something about meat and liquor. Meat doesn't ferment. I, yeah, you, it's, yeah. It's, it's, and it's got... Or it does, but yeah. maybe you don't want it. That's carrying some bacteria. It might be inimical to uh, human health and also the health of yeast, which is going to make the alcohol. I mean, so there are no but, pigtails in beer. Probably not, but definitely infuse a pigtail in, in anything. <laughs> in meat, infuse it later. Yeah. I'll give that's you another, what I'm saying. Here's pickle, pig- pickle the pigtail. Yeah. Yeah. Here's another yeah. one for you, Jimmy. So we're, of course, you know, going to try to be environmentally conscious as much as possible. And we're going to, um, you know, strain our used grains and send them back to the farms for animal feed. So you could do a 360 product where you had uh, a, a, a short pork shoulder that's been, you know, soaked in the bourbon that it also ate. Wow. There you go. <laughs> that's, yeah. Do that to me when I'm dead. Thinking please. outside yeah. the box. Well, cheers to that. That's all cheers. I can say. <laughs> Mike, uh, first, Mike Kinsley, congratulations on being a licensed distillery in New York, Calpacy Distillery. Um, we got some cool stuff going forward. Hey, let's give a shout out to it's goodbrasil.com. It's July Goodbrasil month. It's been an awesome month. There's over 40 Goodbrasil bars in New York City now. Some great events, including tomorrow night. If you want to meet Beer Media, uh, go to the South Street Seaport Museum. Uh, there's going to be a, a beer book, blog, and video fest. Horst Dornbush was an assistant editor from uh, the Oxford Companion to Beer. Uh, writer John Hall. Some great blogs like uh, Beertography and uh, BeerUnion.com and some uh, makers of beer videos will all be there. It's going to be a cool hangout. And there's also a lot of beer from like Coney Island and Dogfish Head uh, and Thomas Hooker. That's going to be a good. You can check it out, GoodBrasil.com. I think it's $10 also, which is crazy. <laughs> but it, it's, it's something that, that no one's done in the Northeast. And it's a bunch of beer media people that are going to be there. Uh, com. Check it out. And next week is Good Beer at uh, at 82 Mercer. It's one of the uh, New, York, New York City uh, July Good Beer Month events. Um, so a lot of good stuff. Go to goodbrasil.com. We're really pr- I will say we're really proud of this month. It's our fourth year doing July Good Beer Month. The mayor has given us a proclamation every year in New York that July is Good Beer Month. Uh, we feel like we handle it responsibly. We also have some, some damn good events, and every bar has had some really cool stuff. Uh, Justin, what, what have you done uh, in July at Sycamore to celebrate July Good Beer Month? Um, last or Two weeks ago, we had Barrier back. Uh, we did a... A crazy like burger barbecue and just had six of their beers on tap. And actually, this Saturday we've got Captain Lords coming by. That's awesome. And Jen Blind Tiger, what's going on Sunday again? Peak Skill. Peak, Peak Skill Brewing. Down. Jeff O'Neill. So we get to actually try you know the beers from his new project, which is really exciting. I can't wait. I can't That's wait. Awesome. We've heard about a lot of them, and we had a couple on the show when he came in last time. But um, to taste more of them should be a treat. So come by. Anyways, check out GoodBrasil.com. All the Good Beer Seal bars have great events always, and July Good Beer Month is meant to highlight them. And uh, anything else, uh, a secret new thing coming up uh, September 8th, you can find it on Good Beer Seal. There's going to be a Barrel and Kegs event. It's going to be some of the New York area breweries uh, celebrating uh, September, and they'll be at the Rockaway Beach Concessions. It's going to be very hip. You can surf and drink beer. Uh, with some brewers, uh, again, check it out, goodbrewerseal.com. I'd like to thank our sponsors at greatbrewers.com who have helped to bring this podcast to you tonight. And again, thank you to thegoodbrewerseal.com. Thanks to Michael, Justin, Matt, Greg, and Jen for joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producers, Jack Ensley and Brie O'Connor, and guest coordinator, Brett Thompson in Seattle, and engineer, Joe Galarraga. We'll see you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. 
Some of my songs I have casually mentioned The fact that I like to drink beer Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Whiskey's too rough, champagne costs too much.